1: Hello everyone, and flip, back to fly, purple, fly, purple, flip, your fly, purple, we fly, fly, flip, we And yeah, I didn't do a podcast last week. Deal with it. I know. Look, I needed a little bit of time after dealing with this flyer season, as we all have needed, because it was brutal. And I need a little bit just to to clear my head, get back together with things, you know, get back attuned with nature, if you will. But I'm back and I have a great guest tonight. Charlie O'Connor joining me tonight. Charlie, how you doing, man?
2: I'm doing significantly better now that the flyers are no longer playing hockey
1: (laughs) (laughs) i can relate i it's and it's just it's so bizarre to think about think being relieved that hockey is over for for us as flyers you know people follow the flyers people write about the flyers it's just a, a weird feeling
2: i think part of it is that the season really ended in march like that was when That was when the season actually died. So then we had to then spend another month and a half pretending that it wasn't actually dead. It was basically like the equivalent of that. um, It was a month and a half of that Simpsons gif where like they're just beating on the guy and the kid's like, oh, no, he's already dead. (laughs) Like that was what watching the final six weeks of the Flyers season and trying to cover it was like, like it it died a long time ago.
1: He's already <laughs> dead. Yeah, exactly. Every weekend at Bernie's, we're just walking around with this corpse of the flyers. <laughs> yes. and he's having a good yes. time. He's never been better. <laughs> Gritty's wearing sunglasses. We can't tell he's not, you know, alive and moving around. <sighs> it's over. We can all relax for a little bit. But Charlie, I need to know, how do you sleep at night why don't you ask the hard questions to the Flyers? Why don't you constantly drag this team, complain about them not being a powerhouse like we mistakenly remember them being as kids? Why? How do you do it, Charlie?
2: Well, you see, I have no guts and I'm a homer and I don't ask the tough questions because I'm afraid to. that That's actually the reason. I'm just saying that, saying that right now. <laughs> Just getting it being totally honest. That those are the reasons why. It's not because, you know, I think I'm doing a fair job, you know, trying to cover the team and trying to look at as many angles as I can. No, it's it's out of sheer fear. That's why.
1: You know, I find it insane the amount of I guess hate is the word I'm looking for, but just the comments you get just blow my mind for being a an even keeled fair flyers analyst. I find your writing to be some of the fairest around. And just because you don't constantly blast this team, people are furious.
2: Yeah, everybody was really mad this year. And I mean, obviously the team was terrible. Well, maybe not maybe not like terrible, terrible. Like they finished actually in like the middle tier of, of the league, but relative to expectations, they were terrible. And they were also just infuriating to watch. So I get that. Like I totally get where that anger comes from. Um, and it was just—I don't know. It was just a really bad year, like, all around. You know, the the world did not have a good year collectively. And I do have a feeling that that sort of bled into some of the Twitter discourse, that you, know, you have a lot of people who have pretty much been cooped up in their house for over 12 months, and they just kind of wanted to—they they, they, enter the flyer season thinking, like, this is going to be the one good thing in my life, and then that was bad, too. So that it was just, okay, well, we need somebody to yell at. And I don't have, you know, I'm not going to the game, so I can't scream at the, at the players. So what I can do is I can go on Twitter and I can scream at everyone on Twitter. And I think that was a lot of what was going on, which with the benefit of a couple weeks of taking a step back, I could be like, yeah, that was probably why. In the moment, it wasn't fun, but in the, it, now that I'm thinking, it's like yeah, it was probably just like a perfect storm of awful.
1: Oh sure, and I it just it sucks in the moment, and it sucks that people are that frustrated and and don't have their usual outlets to get that frustration out, and they couldn't even get up like you know last year for the Phillies, you had the pandemic crew would show up and blow their air horns and scream through the gates like you couldn't even do that
2: for this team it's funny you bring up the phillies because i was i was having a conversation with one of my friends um a couple days ago about that and it was just the the similarities between the phillies bullpen last season and the flyers goaltending this season like there's a lot there because like the phillies last season probably would have made the playoffs if their bullpen didn't even have to be good It just had to, like, not be the worst ever. And the Flyers, like, I don't think they would have been a good team, but they would have at least, like, been in the playoff race until the end if they would have just got, like, not the worst goaltending in 20 years. But they did, just like the Phillies got the worst bullpen in, like, 100.
1: And it's even worse for the Flyers with that because we had the expectation that the goaltending was going to be solid this year. Like, okay. Carter Hart has a season under his belt. Was great in the playoffs. No way, Brian Elliott is a solid backup. And I, I, and I'll tell you, from doing the forecast every week and reading those goaltending numbers, compiling them every week and seeing them just get worse and worse, it, it's just I I just it, I couldn't
2: believe how bad those numbers got at times. I I felt like I had to put it in columns, like just to remind people that. Because there was a a huge debate, and and understandably so, especially in March. Like, I'm not saying the Flyers' defense played well. But the goaltending was so bad, so bad, that you almost just had to put it in columns just to remind people that, like, this is not normal. It's not normal for goalies over an entire month to stop 82% of the shots. Like, that just doesn't happen ever. And it happened to the Flyers because it's the Flyers. Of course it happened to the Flyers.
1: Yeah, it just had to happen to the Flyers. And God, of course it did. And on top of that, like, okay, I remember having conversations with, uh, I've talked about this guy on here before. I call him Pittsburgh Steve. He's a buddy of mine I work with. And he is a trader from this region, Penguins fan. And
2: it's disgusting.
1: It's really disgusting. He grew up in Ben Salem. He went out to Pittsburgh for college, became a huge Penguins
2: fan. It's just awful. So but... wait, so he was a Flyers fan before he went out to Pittsburgh?
1: No, I don't think he got into hockey until he. got Okay, so there.
2: he was he was undecided, and then he went out to Pittsburgh and was converted. Correct. Okay. Okay. That like I, that's still not good, and I'm I still do not approve of that. But at least this wasn't a case of like he was a Flyers fan, even just like a casual Flyers fan, and then like he was convinced by people out in Pittsburgh to change allegiances. At least his allegiance was still up in the air.
1: Right, right. And that's at least my understanding of the story. He could be lying to me to just not, you know, seem like as much of a traitor as he actually is. But he, my understanding is he wasn't really into hockey. He went out over there for college in like 07, 08, when Crosby was hot shit. Penguins are winning cups. And (sighs) regardless, I talked to this guy about hockey because... When you find a fellow hockey fan at work, when you work in an office setting, you will talk to them even if they are a scumbag Trader Penguins fan. Completely fair. Yeah. So Pittsburgh Steve and I will talk, and he was just so sick of hearing about Carter Hart last year, and I'm like, well, guess what? Tough shit. He's for real. He's awesome. And then this year, he's just been relentless about that and just, ugh. I hate that he can be relentless about that, that he can actually give me shit about that. I I just, oh, gets under my skin so bad.
2: You know, one thing that I did find really funny about the season and granted, like he still ended up finishing with better numbers than Hart, which, you know, not that difficult considering how bad of a year Hart had, but it was funny how at the start of the year, When Hart's numbers and the funny thing is at the start of year, like Hart's numbers weren't good, but he was actually playing pretty well. It was just the the team was a dumpster fire in front of him. But at the start of year, if you remember, like Mackenzie Blackwood was great. Like he started out with like a 930 save percentage. And all those Devil's fans on Twitter, like started, like would not shut up about because I went on this thing last year. Like, I don't understand why Devils fans like think that Mackenzie Blackwood is so much better than Carter Hart. Like they're obsessed they're, with it. They're obsessed with it. So then they were attacking me the entire first month of the year about like, see, look who was right. Look how bad or Hart is. Look how great Mackenzie Blackwood is. And then Mackenzie, Mackenzie Blackwood season fell apart too. So like he was better than Hart, but it did make me laugh that Devils fans couldn't take full advantage of Hart's bad season because Blackwood stunk as well.
1: Yeah. At least we had that. I mean, At least I... we had that.
2: You have to take the wins where you can get them.
1: Right. And this season was all about just getting those little wins wherever you get them. And there was almost (laughs) nowhere you could get them. Absolutely nowhere. Oh, look, Claude Giroux is one of the elite players in franchise history. Yeah. But look at the team's record. Great. Thanks. I feel better. Oh, God. Well, at least, you know, I don't I don't even know where to find a silver lining at this point. And we're probably looking at the same coaching staff coming in next year. But I had to laugh at some of the recent coaching changes, and the big one is John Tortorella is out in Columbus, and I'm honestly shocked this didn't happen, like, four years ago. Like, I I can't believe Tortorella lasted as long as he did with the Columbus Blue Jackets.
2: I'm still laughing that they tried to put Patrick Line with John Tortorella. Like, they, they actually tried that.
1: It doesn't make sense. Everybody it's mind-boggling
2: that they thought that might work.
1: <laughs> they traded an unhappy player for an unhappy player to play under John Tortorella. A guy who couldn't play under John Tortorella to play under John I I it blows my mind. The logic behind that makes zero sense to me.
2: Like, we've talked about this on uh, on our in our Slack channel, the BSH Slack, that like there's a lot of people in Flyers Land that really, really want Patrick Line, and they will continue to really, really want Patrick Line. And I'm not here to say that Patrick Line is not a good player. Like he is. He's a very good goal scorer. He has a talent that very few players in the NHL today have, which is he's legitimately a great finisher and he can score from distance. And that's a, the reason why it's so like it's so valued is because it's so rare. He's a good player. That said, Patrick Line is the kind of player where like he's almost best in theory. Because if you watch him play, he's an infuriating player to watch. Because <laughs> he's invisible a lot of the time. He's not good defensively. He's not like a super duper high effort type of player, which shows up in his underlying numbers, which generally stink. But he scores a lot of goals. And like that's great. Stick him on the power play, he's gonna score a ton of goals. But like if the Flyers ever were to get Patrick Line. The most popular day Patrick Liney would have in Philly would be the day he was acquired, because after that point, once a lot of the people who wanted him actually saw him play, they would decide they hated him for all the same reasons they decided they hated Jeff Carter, but even more so because Carter's a be- Carter was a better player back then than Liney is now, a better all-around player. Right. But the point I'm, the point I'm making is that like all the reasons why Flyers fans, a lot of Flyers fans, I think would hate Liney if he ended up on the Flyers it's the exact reason why there was no way that John Tortorella was ever going to get along with Patrick Laine. There was no <laughs> way. Like, no it was way. just, it, it was it was the worst fit from the minute it happened. And, like, I understand to a degree why Columbus did it, because it's like, well, we gotta maximize our return on, on, on Dubois, and everybody knows he wants out, so we gotta, you know, if we wanna get an equally good player, then we gotta trade him for another Malcatan who was, who was Laine. But, like, there was no way line a was ever going to work under her torts. It was just never going to happen. And not the fact that we got to, to see it, honestly, is funny.
1: Oh, yeah. And just to watch the stats every night, see the the time on ice just fluctuate wildly from night to night. And, I mean, I don't I don't watch much Columbus Blue Jackets hockey, not even when they're in our division, because why would I? But, you know, I had uh, line A on a fantasy hockey team,
2: and I can tell you, the results sure as shit were not there. <laughs> yeah i don't even know what his end of season numbers look like but like as i said he's a great player like he does something that very few players in the nhl could do and usually at the end of the season you look at his numbers and you're like man i wish that guy was on my team but aesthetically he's not exactly the most like you know man i really want that guy on my team type of guy and torts is very much a coach that like you have to look like you care like you really you can't take shifts off. You can't, like, float around in the defensive zone. You can't just kind of be wandering around look, looking at cherry pick. That's just not the coaching style that he's going to, you know, be into from his players. And is not going to do that. Like, if you if you trade for Patrick Line, A, you got to know what you're getting. And I think Columbus knew what they were getting. I think Keke is smart enough to know what Patrick Line A is. But they were really, really, like, throwing darts if they thought that was going to work. I'm, oh, I'm yeah. intrigued now. Like, now, now that tourists is gone, maybe they'll, you know, maybe Liney will fit better in Columbus. Maybe they'll trade him anyway. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. I think he's got a year left on his contract after this. And, I mean, looking at Columbus's track record as far as guys re-signing there and wanting to stay there,
2: it ain't great. Well, it's also Columbus. I exactly. Mean, there's, there's definitely an element of you know, do I really want to live in Columbus? I mean, I will never, I'll never forget the uh, the Richards-Carter moves. I mean, that <laughs> that still cracks me up. Like, they make the trades, and Mike Richards is like, well, this stinks, but I'm going to LA. Sure, I'll go. Yeah, and Carter holds up in his Sea isle home. And the entire brain trust of the Columbus Blue Jackets has to fly into Philly and then drive to Sea Isle to basically drag him kicking and screaming out of his shorthouse, house, where he was probably getting, like, bombed out of his mind. <laughs> oh, it's
1: still one of my favorite stories. Like, five so seconds good. after that trade, nope, nope, not gonna do it. And he just—I've never seen anybody so dissatisfied with a trade and play so poorly as a result of that as Jeff Carter in Columbus. Like, he was just— not eat, no effort whatsoever. Trade me for the love of God.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, like, he, ca- I don't know if he came to camp in Columbus and just had it in his head, like, I'm just not going to give a shit, or if he was just so miserable that it just bled over into his play, but yeah, like, that was never going to work, and the fact that, that whole, that whole Columbus thing, like, not al- so not only does, does that whole thing happen where they have to, like, drag Jeff Carter out of sea Isle, then they lose two trades in a calendar year with the same player. Like, they, they clearly, they lost the, the Carter trade with the Flyers because they give up Voracek and the pick that turns into Sean Couturier. And then they lose the trade with L.A. because they trade him for Jack Johnson. Jack <laughs> Johnson.
1: I mean, Jack Johnson, that really is where the, the, the start of Jack Johnson being the butt of, like, every NHL joke starts is right there.
2: It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible that Columbus could blow two trades involving the same player in one year. Like they didn't even get, you know, Jack Johnson was, for the most part, like a negative value asset for them. And that was like the centerpiece of the deal. Oh, Columbus. Why are you? Why are you, you?
1: You almost feel bad for them, but not quite, not quite enough. Do I feel you know I, I don't get to the point where I feel enough pity for them because I am a flyer's fan at the end of the day and i I don't need any pity for
2: other teams. I do feel bad for their fans to a degree because I think they're a lot more passionate than people give them credit for. I agree. and like that that's a that's a fan base and that's a team that like it could have easily just not worked because they were bad for so long. Like those fans could have just said, screw this, we're not going to games, like have an 8,000, you know, 8,000 person attendance for four years and then move the team. But they stuck with them. And I mean, I give the fans credit like they're, you know, because you don't think of Columbus as like a hockey hotbed. You definitely uh, I don't think you think of that as a hotbed for anything. It's completely fair. But but they stuck with the team and then like when they had that that sweep of the, the lightning a couple years ago in the playoffs, you know, the fans were you were really, really into it. That place was rocking. So I mean, I have a soft spot for the, the Blue Jackets fans. I don't really give a crap about the Blue Jackets team though. No, <laughs>
1: no. And I'm I'm curious to see how they do without Tortorella, because whatever your opinion on Tortorella, he I, I think he did pretty damn well with the tools he was given there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But he's also, he's a man out of time, right? He is an old school coach in a league where guys like that are increasingly out of fashion. I am really curious to see if he gets another shot somewhere.
2: I can't imagine he won't. Like, it's just because there's always going to be a team... That thinks they need the hard ass.
1: Right, because you go with the soft guy, you go with the nice guy, and then the nice guy doesn't work out. So it's like, all right, let's go with the hard ass. You, yeah, know, it, you rarely
2: find the guy in the middle. Let's bring Torts. And the thing with Torts, too, is, like, everything I've heard, like, he's obviously a dick when it comes to, you know, playing time and, and calling guys out in the media and being hard on the, on the ice and stuff like that. Everything I've heard is that, like, he's not a bad dude, like... In general, like, he's not Mike Babcock, let me put it that way. Okay, yeah. Like He's not, like, bullying players. Like, he generally speaking, you know, guys generally, even if they, like, get annoyed with him, they still respect him. And he builds good relationships with, you know, people in the front office and stuff like that. Like, I don't get the sense that, like, Hekeleinen was desperate to get rid of John Tortorella because, like, they were butting heads constantly. Like, I don't get the sense he's a bad dude, which I think helps him. It helps him get jobs because, obviously, he does get results. My thing with Torres is just that like he's incapable I don't know if John Tortorella can really coach a su- a very talented team. Like you hire John Tortorella if you're like, you know, somewhere in like the sixteen to twenty two range in terms of like where you rank true talent, like where your team ranks true talent, and you want him to turn them into like somewhere between like eight and fourteen. And he can do that. Like, he can take a, like, not that great team and make them into a pretty good team. But I don't think you can give him an actually good team and have him turn them into a championship contender. You know what I mean? Because, like, oh, yeah. because his style doesn't, like, his coaching methods, like, the real talented guys are going to be like, this is bullshit, I just don't care. Like, that's why it didn't work in Vancouver. Because it was like, so you're having him coach the Sedines. Yeah, that ain't working. <laughs> no. <laughs> Please turn our
1: garbage into gold is what you're asking Tortorella at the end of the day. And exactly. It, you know, he's good at that. Take our team entirely of Chris Vandevelde's and have them squeak into the playoffs. Yeah. And if that's what you want him to do, like, he'll do it. He's good at that. That's. I'm so fascinated to see where he ends up for that reason, to see if a team with high-end talent tries to take him on and, and see if it all blows up in their face or... I mean the big joke here is that he returns to the Rangers. I can't see the Rangers doing that, but I also didn't see the Rangers blowing up their
2: entire team about two weeks ago. Yeah. I didn't see that coming either, to be honest. Oh man. What a mess that was.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a real shame. Really just hating that. Let me tell you. Ha-
2: yeah. I really hate to see it. I yeah, truly do. It, truly.
1: <laughs> oh, hate to see it. <laughs> couldn't happen to a, a nicer team. The, if, the only way it would be better is if it happened to the Penguins and, you know, Unfortunately, the Penguins had their front office upheaval, and it, it's so far working out in their favor, but we'll, we'll see what happens there.
2: Can, can we talk a little bit about the Penguins for a second? Because I, I want to bring this up about, about Ron Hextall. Obviously, you know, he takes the GM job. I have gained so much more respect for Ron Hextall because of his timing. So, like, he took that Pittsburgh job, like, right before the bottom fell out from under the flyer. And his entire resume of why he should get that job was based on the idea that like he built this future juggernaut in Philadelphia by being patient and getting all these great young players that were going to make this great core that's going to have the Flyers be great for the next 10 years. And like he cashed out at the perfect time. He got that job when the Flyers are still leading the division and everybody's like, yeah, look at the great job Ron Hextall did. And then immediately after he takes the job – all the Flyers young players start playing like crap and right. suddenly Ron Hanks doesn't look that smart anymore, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because he already got the job. All the
1: guys he got his entire core just fell out in the second half of the season. Right. The timing is incredible. And then impeccable. he goes out His one big acquisition is a noted former Flyer in Jeff Carter. Who's playing like, I don't know how he reversed the clock on Carter and I, How he's scoring goals like he is right now is blowing my mind. And it's just a perfect recipe for bitter Flyers fans.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think I said, I I don't know if I said this after the Carter trade, but it was basically just like, I don't think the Penguins are that good of a team. But because this year, this season was basically like, like made in a laboratory to make Flyers fans as miserable as humanly possible, (laughs) the Penguins are probably going to win the Stanley Cup.
1: Oh, yeah. I came out, and I remember it was, I think, a few weeks into the season. I was like, yeah, okay, I think the Penguins are cooked. They're not not—they're not going to get anywhere near the playoffs at this point. Now, you know, they win the division, and, I mean, we'll see if they get by the Islanders. That's a pretty chippy series so far. Yeah, and yeah. We all know how annoying the New York Islanders can be. They're basically just a, a throwback 90s team that have been dropped into today.
2: You're not wrong. They're pretty, like... I remember trying, I tried to watch game one of that series and Pittsburgh would be carrying the puck, like up ice. And I think to myself, God, I hate this team. And then they'd take a shot or, you know, lose possession or whatever. And then the Islanders would carry the puck up ice. Like, God, I hate this team too. <laughs> like, I can't watch this game. I don't want either of teams to do anything.
1: Like at least with the Capitals and Bruins, th- that is entertaining hockey back and forth big hits, you know, everything you really want. And then with penguins Islanders, it's everything you don't want. It is the worst possible series for a flyers fan to watch.
2: Well, like I, like I'm never going to get past like the penguins, you know, I'm obviously a a credential journalist. Now I have to be objective, but like, I'm always going to be like, I, I, I see that penguins yellow and it's like waving like a, you know, like a, a red cape in front of a bowl. It's just like, it's just, it, it makes me sick to my stomach. It's always going to. When well, they sold down always go- in the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like, I'm always going to be like anti-Penguins. I don't have anything in particular against the Islanders. Like as an organization, I don't, they're fine. Whatever. I just hate their style of play.
1: Right. Like, I don't have a problem with them as an organization, but I have a problem with the style of hockey they're playing. And yeah,
2: I just, I find it unwatchable.
1: Right. And I don't want the league to learn lessons from that and turn that way because the league constantly learns the wrong lessons from these teams winning. You know, they're like, oh, the Lightning won because of Patrick Maroon. Well, I don't think the big rig was the one who, guy who did that, guys. Like,
2: <laughs> maybe it was Kucherov. I don't know. I mean, he like that's such a annoying debate because it's like, yeah, Patrick Maroon helped. And like, yeah, Blake Coleman and Barclay Goodrow, like they all helped. But the lightning aren't winning the cup unless they have like five of the best players in hockey on the same team. Right. <laughs> They're just not.
1: <laughs> I think Victor Hedman might've had something to do about that. Vasilevsky, you know, like they have Braden point. They they have an unbelievable roster. And I, I know it's been done to death on, you know, basically how they were able to completely cheat the cap and circumvent the cap this year. But that is, that was a thing. That was, that a was thing. a thing. But that is an unbelievable team to watch. I mean, that, that Panthers Lightning series so far is, it's ridiculous. That first game was, I think, one of the best hockey games I've seen in a long time.
2: Oh yeah, it was incredible. And I think the best part about that series, and I I really hope it goes along, you know, you know, it goes six, seven games. I know Tampa's up to nothing, so that's looking less and less likely, but like, God, Tampa! Please, please start winning—or not Tampa. Please, Florida! Please start winning some games. Like, make this a series so that we get this to go to go far. You don't have to win; just make it a series. But the the thing that makes that series so great is like Tampa. Tampa is an unbelievably skilled team. You know, they can they can play trade chances, fast paced, push the play type of style with ease. Like, it's like it's like as easy, it comes as easy to them as breathing. Like, that's just their natural inclination is to play that way. Well, the thing is, is that everybody else in the league knows how good they are. So, pretty much everybody else in the league will try to slow them down like they'll, and and that's how you you beat Tampa or you at least try to as you try to like slow the game down you, you turn it into a game along the boards there's a lot of hits you know you're 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 basically just trying to like neuter their speed a bit and then hope that your goalie plays well enough that you can outlast them
1: right that's what Columbus was doing to them that's, a couple years yeah, back that's how Columbus year. won,
2: yeah that's how Columbus won their series that's what the Islanders tried to do in in the you know in the the third round last year like that's what teams generally try to do against Tampa Well, in Florida, they came across the one team that is coached by a guy in Joel Quenville who is, like, philosophically opposed to the idea of slowing things down. Like, it's like it goes against his very nature. So he's not going to slow it down either. So you finally have a series where Tampa gets to beat Tampa at 100%, and the other team is just trying to out-Tampa Tampa. And it's been awesome.
1: Oh, yeah. It's everything you want in hockey. When you try to get people who aren't into hockey into hockey, this is the kind of game you want them to watch. And it's also the kind of game where you really want to see the game evolve to that point, right? Where, you know, you've got... You certainly have the debate about fighting and violence and big hits in the game versus the speed aspect. But if you are into the speed of hockey and that's really where it seems like the game is headed this is the kind of series you want to point to and say, this is what hockey can be at its best. It is thrilling.
2: Yeah, no, it's been awesome. And I mean, I know Florida is down to, is down to in the series, but I mean, I think they've played quite well. You know, they've even, even if they like get swept, I think they've, they've opened a lot of people's eyes that maybe kind of looked at them like, Oh, like the Panthers, they're not good. Like they look pretty damn good. Oh, they look great. And I mean,
1: Barkov is obviously, like, an amazing player, even yeah. though he constantly gets called underrated, which if you're called underrated by literally everybody, you're not underrated.
2: Yeah, he's not underrated anymore.
1: But the guy who might be is Huberto.
2: Yeah, Huberdo might be underrated. Like, he's actually really freaking good, and very few people seem to talk about him as being really good. Like, I, I put in my um, my award ballot today, um, you know, for, for the awards, and I think I had Huberdo as the second... Um, like second team left wing all-star um, behind who did I have first? Um, it was somebody obvious. Oh, it was Martian. I had Martian first team, and then I had Huberto second team. And like the more I just like dove into the numbers, it's like, no, he's actually like he might be this year at least the second best left wing in hockey. And I don't think anybody thinks of him as being that good, but he is really, really, really good.
1: I never think of him. And then I look at his numbers and I go, this guy's awesome. What the hell? Yeah. Where has this guy been? Like that setup he had. And I forget if it was game one or two, but the, the one where he slid the, the puck across oh, the ice yeah. and there yeah, like that was game one,
2: three or four lightning
1: in there. I, I couldn't believe that.
2: Yeah. That was, that was, that was bad shit. Like that was, and I think like he got a little bit of a lucky bounce. Like it bounced off somebody's skate a little bit, but it was just so crazy that he even thought to do that. Oh, like yeah. the skill the skill level and the creativity just through through the roof.
1: It's like you're just on the edge of your seat throughout that game and you know game two was a little bit of a letdown comparatively, but I mean it was still damn good hockey and you just wish every series could be like that. I mean I will say for the most part, most of the series have been really good so far. Penguins Islanders kind of sucks. Capitals Bruins has been good. Uh, I haven't really watched much of Hurricanes Predator so far. How was that game going? Tonight?
2: Um, I watched game one. I I am obviously not watching game two. I think the reason why I don't care that much about that series is because I just think Carolina is way better than Nashville and like Nashville. They, they play a style now where like, they'll probably keep it close, but I just don't, it's hard for me to see a scenario where they can beat Carolina four times. Like it's hard for me to see a scenario where they beat them twice.
1: Well, Carolina was just so dominant this year too. And it just, What a great style of hockey that team plays. And what I love about Carolina, too, is just that they continue bringing the fun back to hockey, something that this game desperately needs. Yeah. Like seeing the storm surge after game one was awesome. And I'm just so jealous of them having that tradition that they just built up like two years ago.
2: Yeah. I mean, really, this whole series, like this Nashville Carolina series, it's the it's a classic, you know, shining example of how you make hockey work in a small market. Like, you have to build your own culture. You have to build, like, something that makes it interesting and unique and fun. And I mean, Nashville, you know, they built Smashville. They do the Chance. You know, it's like a college football game almost in their arena. And then Carolina, same deal. You know, the storm surge. You know, they've they've built up their own unique culture that gets people into hockey that maybe wouldn't necessarily otherwise be into hockey because instead, you know, they're – college football people, they're college basketball people, they're NASCAR people. Like, hockey, you have to be a little bit different if you're in a non-traditional market. And, you know, both Carolina and Nashville have done a really good job of of being different and really setting themselves apart from the other sports that are maybe, you know, more natural to that region.
1: Oh, yeah. I was so impressed when I went to Nashville seeing – all the Pred stuff there. I mean, it was just everywhere. I, the support for the Preds was through the roof, and I loved it. I loved just going around seeing that hockey stuff, and I think I saw more Pred stuff there than I see Flyer stuff in bars around here, which is really, you know, it, it was everywhere. It was awesome. Like I, I saw
2: a little bit of Titan stuff, but there was Pred stuff literally everywhere. Well, you know what? You know what's always annoyed me. I, I, I've said this on multiple occasions. It's always annoyed me that like there aren't more. Like like dedicated Flyers hockey bars in Philadelphia. Yes.
1: Okay. I'm there, not there alone on this. Be more. I'm yeah. right there with you. And it drives me insane.
2: Yeah. Like. I mean, I understand, like, why there are soccer bars. Because, like, obviously soccer, it has a different type of fan base. There's fewer fans. There, you know, it's a lot of, like, people who are into, like, Premier League teams. So there's, you know, like, Liverpool bars and Tottenham bars and Man U bars and whatever. Like, I get that. You're also waking up at, like, 8, 9 in the morning to go drink beers, you know? (laughs) exactly. Like, you know, bars kind of shift that to, you know, appeal to a clientele and make money. But... Because there's no, like, dedicated... And I'm talking, like... When I say a hockey bar, I'm talking, like, you know, decked out in Flyers shit. But not only that. Like, you have tons of TVs and there's all the hockey games on. You know, it's a a hockey bar. You go to that bar if you want to watch hockey. And there are so few of them. Like, I was talking with people a few days ago, like, you know, we should go to a bar and catch the game. You know, try to find, like, maybe, like, an outdoor place that has, you know, has TVs and whatnot. And... You end up thinking to yourself, like, well, what bars aren't going to be showing the NBA games? Right. And, like, there should be bars where you should just be like, no, this is a bar where if we go there, they are prioritizing hockey. And there are enough hockey fans in the Philadelphia area, in the city of Philadelphia, for that matter, that, like, would gravitate to a bar like that. They absolutely would. And that you would build loyalty from those people. And if there's anything you friggin' know about Flyers fans and hockey fans in general is they're goddamn loyal.
1: Oh, they're goddamn like, that's loyal. Gonna
2: car- that's going to carry over to like going to a bar. hundred percent.
1: Oh yeah. And they can throw back some beers, my friend. And I, I think we all yes, know that. They too. Can. <laughs> so you will make some money off that. No, it. I've been saying this too. It drives me nuts. Like I remember specifically, this is a-, a few years back at this point, but I remember going out one year and it was the flyers opener and I wanted to watch the opener and I was at a bar and I said, Hey, can you put the flyers game on? And it was like a Phillies, like meaningless, Late September game, and they're like, no, the Phillies are on. Like, but this game doesn't mean anything.
2: It's like, as, as usual, the Phillies are out of contention.
1: <laughs> I think it was even, this might've even been like 2010 or something when the Phillies were actually good. Oh, this like, is when they were good. Okay. Lo- yeah. Like locked everything up. So it was the opposite, which, you know.
2: Okay. So yeah. So the games just didn't matter because they clinched. Right.
1: And I think, right. by the way, we're talking about a, what, three, four year Phillies window when this actually was an occurrence. Yeah. Otherwise yeah, right. they've been out of contention and
2: whew, being, yeah, a, being, Phillies a, being fans, a Phillies fan isn't great. It's no. not fun. No,
1: it's not fun it's it's been fun for like again that like five-year period and it ended in the most heartbreaking devastating way possible and we've all been scarred ever since
2: uh, if i had yeah, to think don't of don't one don't worse... don't bring don't bring up the ryan howard achilles injury ever to me okay.
1: I, I know i know i i just <laughs> put on my howard jersey and cry softly that's how i'll go to sleep tonight but pretty much it, so yeah it, it, being a philly sports fan it's just never fun in general <laughs>
2: I mean, once in a while, we get like the Eagles Super Bowl or we get, you know, 2008 with the Phillies, but it's few and far between, man.
1: It really is. Like, I even think, okay, there's the Roy Halladay perfect game, right? And I was in a bar, I was at McGillin's to watch Flyers Stanley Cup game one. Well, the Flyers lost that game. Roy Halladay <laughs> had the perfect game, but you know what? The Flyers yeah. lost the Stanley Cup game that night.
2: Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's never, all, it's never like 100% good. There's always got to be something bad that comes with it.
1: Yeah, every time. Every time. I, I I don't even... Why even talk about the Flyers at this point? We don't have to talk about them for, for many months. Free agency isn't for Thank a while. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done.
2: Thank God.
1: I'm done with the negative energy. I just want to enjoy hockey again. You know, Panthers lightning, rejuvenating my love for the game. I love watching the Avalanche. Night's Wild has been pretty good, even though... I feel like the Wild are kind of slowing up the nights a little bit, but yeah, it's it's still good hockey. And then I love that the Canadian teams didn't even start until tonight.
2: Oh, do they start tonight? That's that series starts tonight.
1: Yeah. So right now, Jets Oilers uh, is on. They just finished oh the first okay period. yeah
2: because yeah because the Montreal Toronto series doesn't start until tomorrow. I know that. Yeah.
1: Meanwhile, the Canucks and Flames played one last regular season game for shits and giggles today.
2: Yeah, that that makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> What a crazy. Keep keep playing regular season games. Why would you be playing
1: any regular season games right now?
2: (laughs) it, It it was just in a weird sort of way. It was like this was such a bizarre year that maybe that was like the only way that a year this shitty could end with like some Calgary Vancouver game, two teams with no playoff chances, just playing out the string because you know money and capitalism. Right. Yeah. There we go. That's that's 2020, 2021 for you in a nutshell, baby.
1: Almighty dollar. So it's all about. Hell yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing I read about this was before Maple Leafs, Canadians, Carey Price, and Brendan Gallagher played a game for the Laval Rocket just to get some practice in.
2: Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> I mean, I guess like, hey, yeah, get some get some games in. You know, they've been sitting around for two weeks, so what the hell? But it does it does speak to the utter ridiculousness of the situation.
1: I can't think of a worse planned season than this one, just the way it's worked out. But at the other, on the other hand, the NHL playoffs at least are making some coherent sense where the NBA has these play-in games and nobody's happy about it, specifically not the Lakers.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, those NBA play-in games, it's kind of—I kind of don't hate the idea—
1: I kind of thought the NHL should have done that last year
2: instead of the play-in
1: tournament, you know, do some play-in games, but...
2: Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Like, I know why they did it. They did it because they wanted some, you know, they wanted, like, Chicago and Montreal in. You know, and the Rangers. Like they wanted some big market teams that weren't gonna get in otherwise and they wanted to, you know, boost the ratings and everything like that. So like I get it to a degree. But I'm with you. I mean, I would have been more in favor of like some type of play in situation, you know, similar to what the NBA did. Um, I guess the only difference between the NBA and the NHL is like NBA games are probably well not probably. They are definitely less random in terms of outcomes than the NHL. Oh yeah. But at the same time, like if you're, like, the 7 or 8 seed in a conference, I don't really have that much sympathy for you.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, you snuck in, and, well, the NHL, with the parody going on, it's just, like, a 7 or 8 seed can't sneak to the top, but the NBA, you pretty much get crushed underfoot if you're in that situation.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough, but what are you going to do?
1: Yeah. Well, the Lakers are in the playoff playing game this year, and... Like, that's a team that had, like, LeBron James hurt for weeks at a time and Anthony Davis, and they could just, you know, okay, they're going to end up, like, they can end up winning it all just from being a 7 or 8 seed, but that's the exception. It's just wild to me how the NBA, it's like, okay, if you're a top three seed, you're probably going to the finals. If you're in the NHL, it's a crapshoot.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, part of that is just the nature of hockey. You know, it's a sport played on ice with a frozen piece of rubber skidding around and whatever, like... You know you never and then you have a goalie who could theoretically steal you a series because that's just the way the game is um whereas the n b a like it's pretty rare, I feel like when you have like a big upset like the only one that really comes to mind for me is that was it like fifteen years ago or so when the 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 eight seed warriors beat the the Mavs who were the one seed, and it was like this never happens,
1: yeah, it's very rare and I go back and forth on how I feel about that. Like, personally, I I tend to prefer the NHL where, you know, you do have a chance no matter what. Like, it it makes it more interesting to me. But I've talked to a lot of people who really prefer the the NBA method where the best team gets rewarded for being the best team. And I can see the appeal to that, especially in a star-driven league like the NBA.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, they're just two different types of leagues. So, you know basketball is basketball is it's going to be more conducive to you know building stars because to be blunt the stars play more in basketball right like they just they, they play more of the game because of the way basketball works you know a star is going to play you know if not every minute the vast majority of them and in hockey you know you can't do that they roll lines and guys aren't on the ice for a significant amount of time so you're just not gonna have the same impact unless you're a goalie, which I guess is why the goalies have such an outsized impact because they never leave the ice. Um, and then yeah, there's just an element of like the way that the NBA works, you know, generally speaking, every year you know there's like four or five teams that have a shot and everybody else is just sort of playing for, you know, and then sometimes like a team like will come out, you know, like Phoenix this year. You know, I don't think people expected them to be this good. And now it's like, yeah, maybe they could win it all. And I don't think that was a belief going into the season. But for the most part, you know, you kinda know going in who's the legit contenders and who are the also Rans. Whereas in the NHL, I mean, you, you know that like Tampa's gonna be really good. And you know like Toronto's probably gonna be good because they're in a crap division. But there's a lot of, you know, the Colorado's gonna be real good. But there's a lot of teams where it's like, Yeah, you know, Florida, where'd they come from? Yeah. The Flyers were really good last year, or at least they looked like they might be. And now this year, they're really bad. Like, there's a lot of up and downs.
1: A lot of up and downs. It's very hard to tell. And I, I think that can make things frustrating for people to kind of, you know, when you're looking around the different teams in Philadelphia and in general in sports, you know, you're seeing a quick turnaround for teams in the NBA. You're seeing a quick turnaround for teams in other sports. Whereas the NHL, it's it's such a team building process. You have so many parts you have to put in there and get right ultimately to make a competitor to make a champion. It's it's very complicated.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's tough. There's just, yeah, there's you know, that's another thing like the NBA, the rosters are smaller. So, you know, it's not like you if you have six or seven really good players, I mean, yeah, there's still the importance of a bench, but it's not the same deal as it is in hockey where like, you know, Connor McDavid's the best player in hockey. And no one thinks Edmonton is a good enough team right. to they have like, win a championship.
1: And Dreisaitl, who are yeah. two of two phenomenal players. I would say two of the top five players in
2: the league, you could argue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, McDavid's number one. And where you, where you put Dreisaitl. like Dreisaitl is at least top ten. He certainly has a case for top five.
1: Right. But they're not even thought of as a, a possible contender this year. Not even in the same breath as most of the other teams. And they have two of yeah. the best players.
2: Yeah. Yeah yeah it's just a different you know it's a different type of game and you're right the rosters are constructed differently and there's you know, depth matters more. Obviously, having stars still matters. You know, look at Colorado. They have some amazing players, and they also have depth, and now they're, you know, the runaway favorite to win it all, at least in my mind. But, yeah, you can't just do it with a couple of stars. Whereas, like, if there was an NBA team that had two players of the quality, and I'm sure there are two players of the quality of McDavid and, and, and Dreisaitl, I mean, they're immediately one of the top five teams in, in basketball, We're really, you know, regardless of the rest of the roster, as long as it's not God-freaking-awful. Right. And I'm not saying that to, like, shit on the NBA. It's just the way the the way the game works and the way the league is set up and, you know, the nature of basketball.
1: No, I think it's an interesting discussion because, you know, it's been great seeing the Sixers have the success they have had this year and in recent years. But specifically this year because they finished as a one seed and they're, uh, you know, the expectations are sky high going into the playoffs. But the thing about their, you know, tanking process, the infamous trust the process and everything yeah. – is you do that because the odds of you getting, you know, a significant game-changing player by doing that are way higher. Uh, I think the one team I can really think of where that happened and it worked out great for them in the NHL is the Penguins. The Penguins, yeah, and that was mostly because they didn't have any money and they didn't want to pay <laughs> and it worked out. You know, Kansas City Penguins was this close to happening, but they got Crosby, they got Malkin, they got Flurry, they got Letang all in the course of just a few years. And yeah, that's enough of a core to, to get you to that point. But that's a rare exception. I would say like the Oilers did it for years and they finally lucked out with McDavid. but so many other guys, they just completely whiffed on.
2: Yeah. They, I mean, they certainly had their fair share of, of early round picks that, that didn't work out for them. One thing that I always think back to um, about the Penguins, and this is like just one of those like fascinating thought experiments like as good as they, as good as they, they were, you know, and they're still quite good. They still could certainly win the cup this year, but like, I'm thinking back to like the early years of, of Crosby and Malkin when they were like in their early to mid twenties, you know, and they, and you, you mentioned Letang, he was a second round pick, but obviously Fleury was first overall. The one guy who's like in there who was quite good for them, you know, before, before they traded him was Jordan Stahl. Cause he was a second overall pick and he, you know, he, he was useful. You know, he was a Darn good player for them, did his job, you know, good defensively, made them real strong down the middle. I wonder how good those teams would have been if they would have taken Taves instead of Jordan Stahl. Oh, that's it. Like, um, imagine that, because he was third overall. He was taken right after Jordan Stahl. And, like, look, like, Jordan Stahl's a darn good hockey player. Oh, yeah. Taves is a Hall of Famer. Like, imagine them being able to roll Crosby, Malkin, Taves. One, two, three.
1: Would have been nuts. That would have been annoying as shit.
2: <laughs> it would have been insane. And they could have done it. They he was he was right there.
1: It was bad enough with Stahl having to see that guy all the time and he was the third center. It it was awful. Ugh. God, just what a you know, I, I know it's all torture, but that period of time <laughs> with young Crosby, Malkin, Stahl, and you had these like up and coming flyers that were, you know, it was such a classic, like Rocky story, where it was this scrappy guy, you know, a bunch of scrappy guys, but not quite a star. And yeah, yeah, just always came up short against those Penguins teams. It was, it was horrible. I think that's actually why I keep going back to the fact that 2012 is the last, like, universally beloved Flyers team here. But that team lost in the second round of the goddamn New Jersey Devils. And yeah. they didn't do any better than any recent teams, particularly, you know, but. They're beloved because they beat those penguins who drove us nuts for years.
2: And it was just such an insane series. You know, it's a series that everyone, not just Flyers fans, but like you, you could you could go to any any city in the NHL and talk about that series. And like as long as the, the person was a fan of the team for, you know, or fan of hockey for more than 10 years, they're going to remember that series. It was an insane series and the Flyers won it. So, of course, the, that, that team is still going to be thought of finally. And especially because then after that, the floor fell out from under the Flyers. And every team since has been underwhelming and mediocre pretty much with maybe the exception of the 2019-2020 team. But, like, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. And, like, that, that 2012 team just seems so far away from where we are right now. So
1: It was just that cathartic getting
2: over the hump
1: even though the hump, you know, kind of fell out right afterwards. But yeah. for for five minutes, it felt good.
2: And it always feels good to beat the Penguins because it's the Penguins. It
1: is. It's just – if you're not a fan of the Penguins, they are just such a hateable team it, just as far as, you know, hockey fandom goes because, I mean, Sidney Crosby, J- Malkin, come on. How can you not
2: hate those guys
1: if you're not a Penguins fan?
2: I think, I think it's for a lot of Flyers fans too. Like, you know, I, I actually – I don't know – I don't know where Flyers fans are at at this point with Crosby. Like, I I, I think that, you know, probably the vast majority of them still hate him. But I do get the sense that there are more Flyers fans these days that are sort of, like, developing almost like a grudging respect for the guy.
1: Same. Guilty. I will raise my hand to that one.
2: Yeah, where it's like, yeah, I mean, like, it kills them that he always kills the Flyers. But he's sort of reached that point in his career where you just, like, you kind of just have to be like, damn, like... He's still doing this. He's still it's doing it. It's pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I've i seen so many guys that I thought were great from that era that aren't playing anymore, and it sucks to not see those guys playing. So the fact that he's still going at such a high level, it's just impressive. Like, if if you're not impressed by that, you're in denial.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and like, does he still do some, like, annoying shit from time to time? Yeah, he does. But he's not the same whiner that he legitimately was in his early days. Like, he's just not.
1: Right. It's not close. It was really bad in the early days, and you don't really notice it for the most part. What annoys me most about him now is just every time the Flyers play the Penguins, he conjures a goal up out of nowhere. Just... Yeah. I don't know what kind of voodoo magic he puts on it, but he conjures it up out of nowhere, and it's so frustrating. But again, you have to
2: respect it. it. It does seem like every time the Flyers play the Penguins that, like, the Flyers are almost implicitly starting out down one nothing because you know that Crosby's gonna get his goal like the flyers for the flyers to win they have to score two goals because the fewest amount of goals they're gonna allow is one because Crosby's gonna score
1: right or like he's getting one random mind <laughs> it's just a matter of when you've never heard of until five minutes before puck drop
2: <laughs> yeah it's like that uh the, the meme that uh, that Namita posted before she had to delete all of her tweets because she got hired by a professional sports team where it was like kids in a trench coat like assisting on Sidney Crosby's goals or something. Right. <laughs> three kids three kids in a trench
1: coat. <laughs> I always think back to the, the Travis one that's like guy, guy, Crosby, guy, guy, Malkin, guy, 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 guy.
2: Yeah. And then they won the cup that year and Travis got ripped for that after they won the cup Indeed, with that. But
1: roster. he's right. <laughs> they win with guy, yeah. guy, guy because.
2: They did. they won, They won the guy, guy year
1: yeah uh, every time every time that team will just never it'll haunt me forever uh, who, who at this point is your your playoff you said the abs were pretty much like the team to beat right anybody else you're considering up there right now
2: yeah i mean i my my final pick was um abs canes and so far i think it's like that's i've seen nothing to dissuade me from thinking that that's a likely outcome Maybe, you know, maybe if Toronto comes out and looks really, really good, I'll start wondering like, oh, maybe they could, they could beat one of those two teams. But I, I think the Avs are so good. Like they're the so Avs, good. they're so good. I think they finish with like a, like, like their underlying numbers at five on five were like 58%, which is bonkers for today's day and age. Like that's like, those were the numbers that like the Red Wings of the, the late 2000s were putting up. And you're like, oh, we're never going to see that again. Now we're seeing it again. Like, yeah. The the abs are actually this good. Their defense is unreal in terms of like the ability to move the puck. It's it's wild how talented they are on the back end.
1: McCarr is ridiculous. And they have and they have probably the
2: what, the second or third best player in hockey in Nathan McKinnon?
1: I love McKinnon. He is one of those guys, if I was drafting a team from scratch, obviously I'd go McDavid first, but I think McKinnon would be a strong number two pick.
2: Yeah, I mean I mean, if, and truthfully, if you're if you're adding contracts into it, he might be the number one pick because his contract is such a bargain for what he provides. I mean, at least with McDavid, he's getting paid. You know, still probably is getting paid less than what he deserves, but he's getting paid a lot of money. Whereas McKinnon, I mean, you can build a roster around that guy, but he's just getting paid what, like six point two mil a year, yeah. and he's like a twelve million dollar player, I, at least it's a nuts. twelve million dollar player. I probably pay him fourteen. You know, he's. He's ridiculous. I, I I
1: love that team. I would love to see that team win. And again, it sends the right message to the other. But, you know, the other
2: GMs will be like, oh, it was Belmar who did it. Exactly. No, that, that that's I did a, a mailbag a couple years ago on that, like on that very point that the idea of like, well, if a certain type of team were to win the cup, would things change in terms of like, how teams are built, and because you know, obviously, a lot of people in hockey like emulate the last champion. You know, they they're all fighting the last war. That's been a thing for for years and years and years. So somebody asked me, like, you know, do you think that that would that could happen if you know so and so type of team wins, like if Toronto, you know, under Dubis wins or whatever? And my thing is like, no, I don't think it would because all that would happen is exactly what happened with the Lightning, where instead of People in hockey taking the lesson of like, let's play fast and fun and offensively oriented, they would, they will just look at it and say they won because of, you know, they finally went out and got the gritty bottom of the lineup guys that allowed them to win the cup, to go over, to get over the hump. Like, if Colorado wins, it'll be Pierre Edouard Belmar. It'll be, you know, Matt Calvert. Like, there's always going to be like the reframing of the narrative to fit with what they want to believe will succeed in hockey. So, like, just don't worry about it if you're building a team. Like, build your team. Build your team the way you want to build it, and don't worry about the idea of, like, breaking the mold. And I'm not saying, like, don't get gritty guys. Like, shit, like, gritty guys are important. You know, guys who can be physical, guys who can stick up for teammates, things like that. But, like, like don't get them just because, like, well, we have to have them win a cup. Like, get them if they're good players. You know what I mean? But don't get t- 12 Tom Wilsons. Well, I mean, if there were twelve Tom Wilsons, that would be a pretty wild team to watch. But okay, if there are. I don't
1: think I want. I, I'm actually. I, I go back and forth on if I'd want to see that team because that just sounds. I mean,
2: part the part the reason why Tom Wilson is able to be Tom Wilson is because there are no other Tom Wilsons. Right. Like he can. If 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 every team had a Tom Wilson, and I'm not saying like every team had a heavyweight, but if like every team had a couple guys who were like huge and physical and could skate and score like Tom Wilson probably wouldn't go around bullying everybody. And that's not even just like saying like a, you know, like a deterrent thing. It's just that Wilson can do whatever he wants because the game has self has, has justifiably selected out guys like Tom Wilson because they can't play hockey. And Tom Wilson is one of the few who can play hockey really well and still do all that other stuff.
1: Yeah. Just makes me this Wayne Simmons at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, well, Wayne Simmons isn't that great anymore either, but he's still a badass. So
1: he's still a badass, and I he'll I always be a
2: badass. He'll always be a badass in our hearts, and
1: it almost makes me want to root for Toronto. Almost, I just can't quite almost. get there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I go back and forth with Toronto because like I actually like their team, I just hate their fans. I love the way I the hate the teams their made fans up. so much.
1: They have so many exciting players, just fun hockey players to watch. Like. I mean, Matthews has been killing it as far as you know, putting up goals this year. Mitch Marner's a fantastic player. They have so many great, talented players, and they have Wayne Simmons, who's one of my favorite Flyers of all time. And I just that fan base is so insufferable.
2: I can't bring myself to be happy for Toronto fans. I just can't. I can't do it. They're the worst. worst. I, you
1: know, it's. I think my worst rankings. It's like Penguins fans, and then maybe maybe Bruins fans and then Maple Leafs fans right there. Yeah. I mean, like I think, but
2: with Bruins fans, I think I'm lumping in all of Boston together. Yeah. The, yeah, Like the thing with Bruins fans, like I know some cool Bruins fans. It's just that like there, I think it's part the, the problem with Bruins fans is that like, there are just a lot of really bad people who are Boston sports fans. So obviously like there's going to be a lot of bad Bruins fans because they're just like not good humans right penguins fans are annoying but they're annoying especially because like we're around the flyers so we get like a lot of their annoyingness because of the rivalry i think maple leaf fans are probably objectively worse than penguins fans well they haven't even won anything to back it up that's part of the problem right i mean look and i'm an eagles fan maple leaf fans are eagles fans they are like, they're just Eagles fans in hockey form. <laughs> they are. They're insane. They're obsessed with talk radio. They, like, go off the deep end every other day. Every loss is the worst thing in the world. They're incredibly self-loathing, but also insufferable. Like, they're Eagles fans.
1: God, I'm so mad there's another football game this year. They added a game onto the season because that's just one more <laughs> yeah, there's week. there's 17
2: games, right? Yeah. yeah and more, more suffering.
1: One more week that we have to hear just incessant complaints about the eagles just the entire week oh my god i eagle season just doesn't end in philadelphia it's that simple
2: oh no it's a 12 month thing no eagle season like if you want to it could be you know june not even june because then they're that's the funny thing i'm thinking like what's a time of year where like Eagles wouldn't be the top conversation on sports radio, but there is no time of the year because if you think about it, like, okay, the season is from September to December, then there's the playoffs. So if the Eagles are in the playoffs, they're driving the discussion. If they're not in the playoffs, they're still driving the discussion because everybody's complaining that they're not in the playoffs while they watch the playoffs. Then maybe like March is the only time where it's kind of a dead zone, but then everybody's obsessed with the draft and free agency. Then you get past the draft and then it's like OTAs and mini camps and training camp. It's literally a 20 a, a 24/7 12 month a year thing is the Eagles dominating the discourse in Philadelphia and it's the same way in Toronto. Oh yeah, except with the Leafs.
1: I mean, we got we had one championship in I don't know, since the 60s and we were the biggest overconfident assholes about it. It was just just completely <laughs> insufferable. I remember I went to Chicago. I'm like, "Well, I gotta wear my bird's hat everywhere. Gotta wear it everywhere. <laughs> gotta rub it in."
2: Yes. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta make sure you're representing, right?
1: Oh, every chance I got. Every chance I got. I had but one year of glory, and then it all came crashing down into these just past couple of years of just uh, again absolute misery. You, it wasn't even that long ago that that team won a Super Bowl, but it feels like forever.
2: Yeah, I you know. I, I, I'm willing to cut the Eagles more slack now because they gave me that Super Bowl it was very like I still get mad but I'm not nearly as mad as I was before they won it right you know because it's like okay you gave me that you gave me the parade you gave me an incredible super Bowl like you gave me that thing so I'm not gonna treat the games quite as seriously as I did before I'm still gonna get angry but like not to that degree right they, they've they've earned a bit of a pass from me there are some people they've earned no pass from that like Two, two months after the Super Bowl, it was back to, like, let's scream and yell about every little fucking thing.
1: Everybody's an idiot. It's the worst franchise in history. They just won a Super Bowl, guy. I don't care. They're bums. Set, fire them all right now. It's just no breaks at all.
2: This is a
1: just insane town, and I love it, but I also hate it.
2: That's Philly. I mean, the, we, we were born into it, and it'll, we'll never leave. That's how it goes. Yep, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Uh, Well, I wanted to bring up, I actually don't know if I want to even talk about this, but I just saw Eugene Melnick had a cruise from hell. And I don't know how much I wanted to talk about this, but I just wanted to laugh at Eugene Melnick for a minute because it's always a
2: good idea. Always a good idea to laugh at him
1: for somebody to just be complaining about having a bad cruise during a pandemic. And for for it to be Melnick, of all people, that really warms my cold, dead heart because what a just tremendous asshole. Like you don't feel sympathy for any hockey owner, but Melnick has to be the bottom of the barrel as far as that goes. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, he might yeah. as well be, like, a fictional movie owner who's just like, I want to make the worst team possible and profit from that, you know, like, like, major league or something.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, he's, I mean, like the, the stuff he's pulled in, in Ottawa, I remember, I remember a couple years ago when we did, um we were doing a show, a BSH show in a hotel room in Las Vegas. I believe it was before the expansion draft. And we were all, like, three or four beers deep. So, like, not, like, bomb, but, like, definitely buzz to drunk. Yeah, it's Vegas. And, um, and we started, yeah, and we started talking, you know, recording this. We started talking about, like, I think we just decided, like, let's go through all the teams and just, like, say something about the teams, whether it's good or bad. And we got to Ottawa, and my suggestion was the only way you're going to be able to fix Ottawa is contract the team. Like, kill the team, take the team away from Eugene Melnick, and then the next year, give Ottawa an expansion team called the Senators, and just have them restart with a new owner. I still kind of hold to that. Oh yeah, like just give give them new ownership because Melnick is a mess. And the funny thing is, like now Ottawa actually has some good young talent, but I'm still waiting for them to, to screw it up because like I can't trust a team with Eugene Melnick as the owner. I just can't.
1: Well, when you have an owner who, as soon as it comes time to pay a guy serious money, is like, "Nah, I'm done. Just send him out." Like, <laughs> you can't take that's that not guy part serious. of my like, job
2: description. Paying people? Are you
1: kidding me? Paying people? What do you think this is? Am I an employer? Well, you are an owner. Yes, you
2: are kind of an employer. Uh, I, I don't do that. Get it? Get him out of here. Come on. Train him for nothing. He's just he's so bad at pub- public relations too. Like, so bad at it. it it's it's possible. Like, it, it's. I, I will I will grant Eugene Melnick this. It's possible that Eugene Melnick is just your run-of-the-mill, like, annoying rich, rich asshole. Like, he might not be actually worse than most of the other rich assholes that run teams in the NHL. It's just that he's so good at saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and doing the wrong thing at the wrong time that, like, it makes it seem like he's even worse than he is. Like, that's possible. That doesn't absolve him because, like— there's an element of like you ha you can't have your entire fan base mutiny on you like the Senator's fan base has, but like I tend to like automatically not think positively of rich people, and Melnick is just really bad at hiding it,
1: oh yeah, like I think immediately i just have a a disdain
2: for the ultra rich like that and yeah yeah i just i I distrust that they actually have any sense of perspective whatsoever
1: right exactly so when i saw the headline that he had a
2: bad time on a super yacht i just i had to enjoy that for a minute oh yeah yeah i mean no one is going to have any sympathy for a rich guy on a super yacht
1: (laughs) on a super not at all who who fled canada because he was too, you know, too sad about being locked up during the pandemic like every other normal person. And he had a bad time on his cruise. So I hope it was just miserable. I hope he had the worst time possible. What an awful person.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like, here, here's a quote from this story um, about the cruise. And I'm going to read this because I, when I read the story the first time, I wasn't sure if the quote was about the captain or if it was about Melnick. I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> so, the and quote, it's... so the quote is, he was an odorous, ill-tempered man who was curt and dismissive with the guests and outright angry and abusive to the crew. And I had to like read back because I'm like, wait, is that about Melnick or the captain? I think it was about the captain. But it could have gone like, either way. It could have been about Melnik, too.
1: <laughs> and he did not want to re sign Eric been. Carlson, no matter what.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, this is funny. It's a funny story. And, like, look, I'm not saying, like, I want people to be unhappy. But if you're that rich and if you're able to get on a super yacht in the pandemic, you can stand to be unhappy a little bit.
1: Listen, I haven't left Southeast Pennsylvania in, like, a year. So I. I have no sympathy.
2: (laughs) Pretty much, though. And, like, this is something where if you're going to – and I understand, like, if you file a lawsuit, it becomes public record. But, like, man, you really, really might want to have found a way to keep this under wraps, that you're suing someone for a bad cruise in the middle of a (laughs) pandemic. This is what I'm talking about with, like, he's so bad at public public relations. Like, you have to know that you're going to get killed for this in the media. And you know the Canadian media is going to find that because hockey is yeah, like up there. Of course, of course they're going to find it. Of course they will. And it's not going to make you look good. Like, maybe this is one of those times where, like, yeah, maybe the, the captain and the crew and whatever treated Eugene Melnick and his girlfriend like shit. Maybe they're 100% in the right and they were treated really poorly. Maybe that's true. But sometimes if you're a rich person, like, maybe just take the L— be like well that stinks we had a bad cruise and don't like make it into a public thing
1: let's just call it a day people
2: aren't going to respond to it well
1: let's just call it a day as you said take the l and just you know eat the money it happens shit people have shitty trips all the time and don't sue people over their shitty trips
2: Exactly. I mean, of course, like rich people are going to think to do it. But as I said, at some point, especially if you're the owner of an NHL team, like if, if he was just like the run of the mill rich guy who had a you know a bad time on a cruise, he could get away with doing a lawsuit because like the only people that are going to pay attention to that are other rich people who probably would empathize with them. Sure. But when you're in the public eye because you own a sports team, especially an m- NHL team in Canada,
1: and you're already hated by like everyone. Because of your reputation. Like, is this the Coyotes, the Blue Jackets, some franchise nobody really cares that much about? You could probably, you know, skirt away with this. No problem. But Melnick, who's hated, as you said, the owner (laughs) of the senators in Canada. Yeah, uh, that's going to get found out.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, clearly he just wanted to express his anger about this cruise more than he cared about people making fun of him for being a rich guy angry about how he was treated on a cruise in the middle of the pandemic.
1: Perhaps, you know,
2: a a poor survey result or something like that. Maybe a comment card. Yeah, he needs to hire, like, a much, much better public relations person.
1: This is a guy who just should never speak in public again. Like, he should just hire a mouthpiece to go out there and say everything for him.
2: Yeah. I mean, and and I hate to bring this back to the Flyers, but, like, this (laughs) is one of the reasons why, like... And and I get, like, don't get me wrong, like, I get the criticisms of the Flyers ownership. I, I totally understand it. And a lot of those criticisms in my mind are driven by the fact that, like, no, like, Comcast is not as good of an owner, not even close to as good of an owner as Ed Snyder, in terms of everything, in terms of building culture, in terms of, you know, being good to former players, in terms of caring about the fans. Like, and and they're not gonna be. They're a fucking corporation. Like, that's just who they are. But there are so many owners that are so much worse than, than Comcast Spectacore. So much worse. That, that's why it's kind of hard for me, like, having that perspective, being like, look, like, yeah, things are worse than they used to be, 100%. You're absolutely right. But, like, you're holding ownership to an unbelievably high standard because Ed Snyder was that good. And, like, a lot of a lot of cities and a lot of fan bases would love to have, like, owners, like, Comcast back to core, who just don't actively screw things up.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I actually almost respect how they're willing to just kind of stand aside and like let the hockey people do their hockey thing. The thing about Ed Snyder is Ed Snyder was one of a kind. There was only one Ed Snyder. There's only ever going to be one Ed Snyder. He was a special person. And to hold anybody else to that standard is unbelievably unfair. There's only ever going to be one Ed Snyder. And he was he was a guy who lived and breathed orange and black. Like he, the flyers were his life.
2: Yeah. And like, it sucks that it's not like that anymore. And it's probably never going to be like that again. And it sticks and it's worth mourning. Absolutely. But then I look at like Eugene Melnick doing this. And I look at what that, whatever the hell is going on in Vancouver. And it's like, wow. Like, you know, compared to those guys, I'm kind of glad the flyers have Comcast. Yeah. I mean, even looking
1: across town at the Eagles right now, there were so many reports about, you know, Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and that whole mess going on right up there. Like, it's nice that Lurie cares so much about his franchise, but then, you know, reports were starting to veer into the Jerry Jones territory of control. And, you know, it's less than ideal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I guess my point is just that like, that's another one of the reasons why I don't like go on. This is just goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the idea of like, why don't I ask the tough questions? Like, I don't think the Flyers ownership is as good as it used to be and as engaged as it used to be, but I also look at other teams around the league and I'm like, it could be a lot worse. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely.
2: And not saying like not saying that it's acceptable, like obviously everybody should demand excellence from every part of an organization that they're rooting for. But like, yeah, I read these kind of stories with Eugene Melnick and it's like, Whew, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a shit
1: show. It's a complete shit show, and I'm glad we don't have that. I I know it's not the same, guys, and I know that's frustrating for people, especially the people who grew up with Ed Snyder demanding excellent from the Flyers constantly. But it's just, I you know, it's 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 a frustrating issue to talk about ultimately, and I'm glad that Dave Scott isn't out there trying to be Ed Snyder because he can't be Ed Snyder.
2: Oh yeah, no. He would he would never be able to pull that off. If he if he tried to like manufacture the like righteous anger that Ed would would give off like twice a year in interviews, he would sound like a fool because it would be so forced. It just wouldn't it wouldn't work. The man who basically forced everybody to call they didn't force him to
1: call him Mister Snyder, but you know he was Mister Snyder to everybody for a reason. Yeah.
2: No, he was a legend he was an absolute legend i mean apparently he was a great dude like i i unfortunately never really had the opportunity to interact with him beyond like a couple times in a scrum because like you know by the time i was regularly getting credentialed you know he was already sick um you know he kind of he went back to i think he was in california was where he was like getting treatments and yeah. he had his like estate state where you know he was more or less just like slowly getting sicker and sicker sadly um so I didn't really get to interact, but all the writers that I talked to that interact with him regularly, like they swear by him. That he was just this, you know, great dude who, you know, was was always honest. You know, no filter. You know, it was it was fun to report on Ed Snyder because he, you know, say anything you want about the guy, he was never gonna bullshit you. And the fans definitely got that impression as well that like Ed was never gonna bullshit you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think a lot of people miss that, but. I don't think Ed Snyder could even exist in today's environment. You know, like I don't even know how a guy like that comes around anymore. Like he definitely was a product of his time at the right time. It just, it all worked out perfectly for, you know, the era of Ed Snyder.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously like, obviously you can't, you know, go out and, just spend, spend, spend to the limit, you know, like you could back in the, in the Snyder era because of the salary cap. But, I mean, there are still, like, legitimately really good owners, um, you know, in the NHL. They're just different. They're not, like, Ed Snyder-type owners. But they're really good owners. Like, I think um, one guy who, I mean, I don't honestly don't know that much about because, obviously, I don't cover the team. But I've been told that, like, Jeffrey Vinnick, who owns Tampa, is, like, an incredible owner. Like he's extremely engaged with the community and like he, you know, he isn't he isn't super hands on, but he's hands-on enough. Like they're not a big market team, but they always spend in the cap. Like he's in really invested in that team's success. And, you know, the the lighting fans like swear by him.
1: That's a team that's spent a lot and it's funny because like there's a couple small market teams that some people all have casual conversations, so I'm like, well, they don't really have a hockey fan base down there. I'm like, actually the Lightning have a great fan base. They have a really dedicated yeah, fan base. And he's they done really a do. lot for that over the years. Like I remember a few years ago reading about like a I think it was a season ticket holder program where they all got their own personalized jersey as part of the season ticket holder experience yeah and like stuff like that like they did a lot of smart moves to really endear themselves to the fan base and build a community there so nashville tampa bay carolina like those are small market teams that are doing it right and you know of course it's arizona just kind of sitting there going well you know we're still here
2: yeah yeah there's arizona i mean I don't know what the heck's gonna happen to that franchise. It seems like they're in perpetual rumors to be moved and the NHL doesn't want to move them because that that Phoenix Glendale market is so gigantic they don't want to leave there. And I guess you're seeing like some of the, you know you're seeing some of the long term rewards of having a team there, you know, by Austin Matthews. Like I don't know if Austin Matthews even plays hockey if there's not a team in, you know, in Phoenix. Yeah. But it's just hard because it just hasn't worked there. Like I don't know if I, I don't know if I've said this on um, on BSH, but like I've covered a couple games in uh, in Arizona, and I actually really like going out there. Um, I've been there I think twice now um, to road trips to uh, you know to the Coyotes arena, and it's so it's really interesting the setup over there. So. The, the, the two arenas are in the same spot. It's it's the, the Gila River Arena, which is where the Coyotes play, and then it's like the University of Phoenix Arena or Stadium, which is where the, the Cardinals play, and they're both in the same spot. And then, like, right in front of the hockey arena, there's, like, this complex. It's this, like, outdoor complex of, like, restaurants and bars and, ton, like, like, stores, and there's, like, a hockey rink. And it's really cool. It's almost like what you, what like we were sold Xfinity Live was going to be before they scaled it down and just turned it into like a frat boy shit oh show house. God. But like it, it's, it was, it's this like multi purpose, like multi block thing that I find really neat. And like I really enjoy like walking around there at night, you know, the night before the game because like it'll be cool out or whatever. And you just like, you know, go to a couple bars, get some drinks, whatever but it's so empty. Like no one goes there. Like, I think they had this, this vision of like, well, if we build this like really cool nightlife spot around the arenas, you know, people come to this spot on non game nights and it'll become this like hop in spot and we'll make all this money. And then obviously when there are games, people are going to be there already. Well on game nights. Yeah. People are around, but on non game nights, they're not, Mm. it's dead. And because it's so out of the way like it's not like in phoenix proper because it's so out of the way there aren't a lot of people that even go to the games (laughs) so it like it like totally backfired like they picked this spot because it's like well we'll be able to build this like mecca to like sports and you know nightlife and fun and they build it and the people didn't come. And now they're just stuck with this like really cool looking complex that no one uses.
1: So they tried the field of dreams logic of if you build it, they will come and, and nobody. And they didn't, it.
2: <laughs> they didn't come.
1: They didn't come. I think
2: it's cool. I think it's cool because like when I'm on the road, like I'm pretty much by myself and I like it because I can just like go to a bar that's empty watch some watch some games, have a couple beers, and then go back to my hotel. Like, I think it's great. It's right down the road from, like, usually wherever I'm staying. But, like, I can't imagine it does particularly well economically. <laughs> See, that's the dream. That's, I love that. That sounds
1: fantastic. I, you know, I, I love the idea, too. And that's one of the things that I'm always torn about with the Philadelphia Sports Complex, where I, I like that you can tailgate, and it's kind of this, everything's right there, it's easily accessible by the subway, but Sometimes I miss that it's not, it doesn't have that downtown flair about it, that it doesn't have, you know, I wish Xfinity Live had worked out like the original vision there where people could walk up and have that multi-tier experience instead of having this, as you called it, like this frat boy hell complex (laughs) that everybody gets shoved into. It sucks. Like I've always enjoyed, you know, I've been to to Boston. You've got Yawkey Way over there. Uh, You've got Chicago. You've got Wrigleyville. Like, I love those experiences. Those are awesome. And I would love something like that. Like, it, it almost makes me wish the Phillies had that that downtown Chinatown um, stadium yeah, that they talked yeah. about. But, it, you know, then again, when I walk around that neighborhood, I'm like, well, thank God that didn't happen here.
2: Yeah, that would have been wild. I, I don't know how they would have made that work logistically because that would have just been a mess traffic-wise. And I don't know where the parking would have been. It was, it was a neat idea, like the idea of putting, uh, putting a stadium downtown or close to downtown or whatever. But yeah, logistically, I, I mean, I lived in Chinatown for a year and a half. I don't know how the heck they would have made that work.
1: I, you would have had to like blow up blocks for that to happen. And I can't even fathom. I can't even fathom. But, it, you know, I'm torn about it at the end of the day where I like the idea of having that downtown experience, like being, having all that stuff right there. But, you know, a lot of the times when I go down to the sports complex, especially when I tailgate, I'm glad it is like it is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess like every you know, every sports complex is going to have its own vibe, and they chose the vibe to basically have everything down there. Like, I love going to I, – I don't really go to Eagles games very much. Obviously, I go to Flyers games, but I don't go there to, like, have fun. I go there to work. Um, but I go to Phillies games, and I, I like the vibe of going to Phillies games. Like, I like – I like you know taking the train down there and you know you you walk down and you got all the fans walking down you got the statues like I like the vibe of Phillies game oh the vibes and great. then if you want to do something if you want to do something afterwards you just get on the subway and go back up to Center City and hit up a couple bars like it's not that you know that inconvenient but obviously there's an element of like you sort of have to know where to go. Where it's, you know, in other places, like, you can just sort of stumble out of the park and there's so many places that are obviously staring at you where you can go.
1: Right. It's very obvious, and if you're from out of town, you don't really have to do much searching to really find where to go. And yeah, and I love the vibe too. The vibe's awesome. You know, you have that subway right there. It's very easy to walk to and from the subway there. Uh where I live currently, I can walk to Citizen Bank Park really easily and it's it's fantastic. It takes me like 20 minutes tops to walk there and I love it. But it's if you're not in South Philly or you're not by the subway, it's it's kind of a pain in the ass.
2: Yeah. No, that's that's totally fair. That's totally fair.
1: Well, Charlie, I have uh, one final thing I wanted to bring up to you tonight. So it's off season. And since I'm kind of rotating every co-host I have right now, uh, I was looking to get like some sort of music TV or movie recommendation from people. And I know you're obviously a big music guy. So, you know, something to get you through the off season through the rest of the summer. Uh, Anything that you're listening to or watching that you would like to recommend to people?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm trying to think like, I guess I could just go through, like, the albums that I've liked so far this year. Yeah, that sounds I awesome. I, posted, I, I think I posted them on Twitter, like, a, maybe, like, right after the season ended. I don't even remember. I, time isn't real. It's I think not it real. Yet.
1: I I mean, how many days have even passed this week? I don't know. What day is
2: it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, I think, like my, like, my top five albums so far this year, um, I think my number one, I, I go back and forth on this because, like so like last year for me albums wise was like one of my favorite albums years in a long time like there were like 15 albums that i loved and this year i don't think anything is like really like blown me away to the degree that a lot of the albums i really liked last year did but there's still some i really like like the probably my favorite so far is uh, julian baker um she's like Sort of like singer-songwriter-ish, but now she's, like, using more of a full band, and I was, like, kind of iffy on her stuff before because I thought, like, she was a good lyricist and she was a good songwriter, but, like, her stuff kind of, like, blended together after a while, and this album is, like, a lot more, like, full rock band, which I like. Okay. The only thing about it is, like, why I hesitate to call it my, like, number one album is that I, like... I fully acknowledge that I tend to like sad music. <laughs> this album is even sad for me. Oh boy. And like, because of that, I can't listen to it all the time because there are points where it's like, nah, I'm in too good of a mood. I don't want, I, I don't want to go that. Oh, dark I, I know that feeling. That p-
1: I definitely yeah. have certain bands that I'll listen to where I'll put it on and I go, why did I, why am I crying? What's going I was in such a good mood five minutes ago. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like, the whole album is about, like, her, like, her struggles with, like, alcoholism that, like, she still really hasn't fully beat, and just, like, like, the feeling of, like, you know, you ruin everything you touch, and it's, like, there's a lot of times I don't really feel like diving into those feelings. You don't
1: want to access that part of your brain. It's not healthy, especially in the past year
2: exactly um but it's really good like it's a great album and i'm sure i'll like rank it up high um then there's another album uh by a band called the antlers um called green to gold which i really liked, and that's an album that like that's a happy album which i feel like is why i've turned to it a lot um but what's cool about that album is that um so they are notoriously a depressing band. <laughs> like they so like they released an album um, I think it was in, like, 2009, called Hospice. And it's a concept album basically about, like, a hospice worker taking care of, like, a terminally ill patient. And, like, it's an incredible record. It's, it's, like, it's like a Schindler's List record, though. Oh it's my like, God. I, I can't listen to it, <laughs> like, that often. It's, like, objectively speaking, it's fucking brilliant. But, man, it's it's hard. It's hard to hear. And then the album they released after that called Burst Apart is also really good. Also quite dark. Not quite as dark as Hospice, but quite dark. So, like, you kind of have in your head that these guys are just like, okay, they only do really, really sad shit. So you're waiting, just and feel this crushed al- going into this. and Yeah, like, I just assumed. But then I started reading reviews of it, and it's like, no, like, he kind of, like, the main guy who writes the uh, writes their albums, Um, he sort of just, like, went off the grid for, like, four years with his partner and just, like, went into the woods and, like, kind of, like, got less sad oh. and then wrote it an out al- and then wrote an album about it. And it's quite positive and like very like, you know, like foresty and you know, like sunny and it's good. And I'm surprised. Like, I don't know. There's to get like a little music nerdy, please. By I all means. almost feel, I almost feel like it almost like it, the album almost carries more emotional weight. Coming from someone who has written the types of albums he's written before. Because it's almost like, you know, like you got through the shit and you came out okay. And because of that, like it's almost easier to like connect with like the positivity, which from some people might sound like a little trite. But like you're never going to doubt this guy's sincerity if you've ever heard Hospice. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So it's like, so it's like, okay, like this guy. If this guy's if this guy's in a good mood, like everybody can be in a good mood because I listen to his old shit. I don't think there was any way he was ever going to be able to write an album like this. one.
1: Happiness is possible. Exactly. (laughs) That's the message we all need this year. I mean, exactly. Exactly. The sun's shining Um, again. Depressed fans are happy. All right. Good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like the perfect 2021 album heading into the summer of like, yeah, you know, maybe things aren't so bad. Um, And then the other album I've listened to a lot over the last couple weeks is um, the new Manchester Orchestra album. Um, And they were like an emo band, again, you know, in like the mid-2000s. They've been around for a while. Mm -hmm. And they released an album, I think in like 2008, 2009, called uh, Mean Everything to Nothing, which I loved. I I still think it's one of the better albums of that era. And then I didn't really like much of what they did afterwards, and I kind of lost them. Um, there were a few songs off the album before this that I'd like, which sort of like got me back in. And then I saw them live in late 2019 because they were playing Mean Everything to Nothing, the album in its entirety. And I was like, okay, like I'll go see that because that's the one album of those I really like. Um, and then this new album got good reviews. And like my first listen, I was like, it's okay. You know, there's maybe like three or four songs I really enjoy. And then a lot of throwaways. And I just kind of kept coming back to it and I really enjoy it. Like it's very, it's very alternative rock. Um, well, that's my it's album, not my so, album, so I'll, try, I'll probably check yeah, like out. It's, yeah, like, it's not so much emo as much as it's just, like, very polished alternative rock and, like, kind of epic. And it works. And the more I listen to it, because, like, the first time I went through, I'm like, this is a little overproduced. It's a little slick for me. And then the more I listen to it, I'm like, no, you know, it, it works for what they were going for. So I've been listening, probably over the last two weeks, that's the album I've listened to the most because it's, like, I'm. it's, The more I listen to it, the more I like it. And I just kind of want to keep listening to it to see if I keep liking it even more and more. Um, You know, the more I like pick out like what the what the lyrics actually are, you know, what the points they're trying to make and stuff. But those are probably the three albums this year. That have came out in twenty twenty one that I've that I've liked the most that have that have hit me the hardest.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for suggestions. And I, I love those kind of albums where you keep listening to it and discovering something new about it, something else that you really admire or like about it. Like that. That's the best kind of album to me.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I feel like with those kind of albums, and I i found this that those kind of albums like you you sort of lo- like latch on to one song. And it's like I love this song, and I keep coming back to that song. And then because I keep coming back to that song, I'm like I'm already on the album. I might as well like listen to the next few songs again. You know, the songs after that in the track list. And then you're like, Nah, you know, these songs are pretty good too. And then suddenly you find that you actually like the whole album. And that's absolutely what happened with with this album, where it was like a couple songs hooked me, and then slowly but surely they had me keep coming back to the whole thing. And now I'm getting into the whole thing.
1: Nice. All right. Well, that's I mean, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out, especially the third one you mentioned, because I, you know, alternative rock is right up my alley. And I think Epic's one of those buzzwords that, that really like hits the right spot for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, they definitely go for like the big finishes and you know, the, the big crescendos and stuff. So, yeah, if that's up your alley. You might like it. I, I was surprised at how much I've grown to enjoy this album because I wasn't expecting it to be anything more than like maybe drop a couple songs on a playlist and be done with it.
1: All right. Well, great music suggestions from Charlie and uh, we'll be, you know, as I talk to people throughout the offseason, I'll be getting uh, different types of media suggestions from them. And, you, you know, me, I'll end up talking about like movie and TV and all sorts of whatever I'm up to when I feel like it, guys. Yeah. That's that's just what I do. But uh, thanks so much for listening and uh, probably be doing more of an uh, every other week format during the off season, just to recharge the batteries, go a lot during the regular season, just got to recharge the batteries a little bit and hit it strong next season. But I'll still be here, still be here, just maybe not as regularly as in the past. But if you have any feedback, Best Place is on Twitter. Charlie, I'm sure everybody and their mother are already following you, but where can people find you on Twitter if they don't already? <laughs>
2: uh yeah i'm at uh charlie o underscore con um that is my twitter handle and obviously i write for the athletic yes
1: charlie writes for the athletic and he is a damn good writer for the athletic i would say the the main reason i am subscribed but i'll throw some shout outs the eagles way too because the eagles coverage is uh pretty damn good on the athletic too
2: it is quite good i would have to agree with you
1: you can find me at fly <laughs> or at Estee Bomb, but uh, if it's hockey, make it fly purpley. Follow BSH Radio, follow Broad Street Hockey, and you can listen to Charlie, of course, on BSH Radio and, you know, many, many good podcasts, but it'll primarily be fly flyper- purpley and BSH Radio in the offseason. So be sure to check out all of our great podcast offerings. And that's all we got. Thanks so much for listening, gang. And until next time, as always, in the words of the great Gene Hart, good night and good hockey. Oh, wow.
0: What is up Astros fans? This is Jeff Balky and my partner, former Astro Jeff Blum from the Believe in Astros podcast to tell you baseball is back. And we've got your world champion Houston Astros covered. Every week we go inside the clubhouse, break down the games, discuss the players and give you everything you need to know about the Houston Astros baseball organization With special guests and a few surprises all summer and into the postseason. So tune in to the Believe in Astros podcast. That's B-L-E-A-V on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Go Astros.